Good morning, everyone. Let me just check around because you guys are all seated differently. See who's all here. Good to see you guys. Missed seeing you. Um, the song that we sang a moment ago, based out of, I think it's 2 Kings chapter 6. It's a story where Elisha was there with his servant and an army came against them to capture them. And the Scripture says that the young man who was the servant to Elisha came, quite frightened and afraid, said to Elisha, can't you see what's going on? Look at what's around us. And Elisha didn't do what I think a lot of us do. Elisha didn't say, no, there's nothing there, don't worry about it. He didn't pretend anything. He recognized there was an enemy against them, but his prayer was, God, open this servant's eyes. And when his eyes were open, he saw that he and Elisha were surrounded by angels and by chariots of God. So the message really isn't that we pretend that we're not facing stuff. It's not that we hide it and act like it's not there. The message of the song is, even though we face those things, in the presence of the enemy, God prepares the table for us. That's the message that God has for us today. And I think for some of us, we need to hear that. Some of you are facing things that are very, very real. And there's others who are saying, oh, it's no big deal. You don't say it's no big deal. It's right there in front of you. But you recognize the bigness of God that is greater than any enemy. That's what we need for ourselves today. And that's, I believe, the word that God was speaking to us even during worship. Um, over this last couple of weeks, we have been looking at the Word of God and specifically Psalm 23, the shepherd's song. And we've been looking at those things that both cause us stress, but also exacerbate stress. It makes it worse than what it would be normally. Because there are stressors, there are enemies out there. But often, the thing that makes it worse is our response. How we handle, how we react things. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to another area of uh, stressors in our lives that I believe God wants to speak to us about, and that's uh, namely wounds or hurts. Um, if, if you're honest, you, you can't get through this world, you can't get through life without some hurts. Is that right? Some of them are smaller you know, like when your kid comes and he skinned his knee and he wants a Mickey Mouse bandage for his knee and you know his knee doesn't really need it. Some of them are small. But some of them are pretty big. And those things can cause us stress on an everyday level if we don't deal with them properly, if we don't address them. Um, I have some friends of mine who are pastors who regularly say ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. But that's true for more than ministers. Life would be great if it weren't for people. It's the people around you who rub up against your stuff with their stuff, with our issues inside against their issues, and those things create sparks or wounds or hurts deep within us. And most often, the thing that makes it worse, the harder thing, is our response to those times in our lives. So, 
Before we look at what I believe God says to us out of Psalm 23 as to the antidote for dealing with that particular stressor, I want to look very briefly at what are the things that we should not do? What are the things that are actually unhelpful to us in how we deal with those wounds, those hurts in our lives? So I want to give you just very quickly five things that I think we should not do. The first is we should not ignore them. This is kind of like the Clint Eastwood kind of mentality. It's like have surgery without anesthesia, just bite on a bullet kind of mindset. It's to act like I'm tougher than this. This thing can't hurt me. I'm bigger than this. Uh, it, it's the kind of thing that um, we do often when somebody hurts us and we remember that phrase from when we were kids. Sticks and stones may hurt, but your words... What you do have no effect upon me. And we do that in a couple of different ways. We do it first by denial. We, we say things like, I'm fine because you can't hurt me. Uh, maybe you guys never did this. When we were little, how many of you guys remember when the VW Bug came out? How many of you are old enough to remember those days? I'm not saying you just saw them. You remember when they came out. We owned a VW Bug. We owned a VW van. But we would ride down the road to church and every time we would see a VW bug, what would we do? How many of you guys remember? Right. What, what, what's punch bug mean? It means you turn around and you hit your sister hard. Well, that game actually developed into a bigger game. And we would actually play a game. Maybe you guys never did this. Maybe it was just among the guys. We would play a game of punching each other in the shoulder to see who would say stop the first. Did you guys ever do that? Or we developed it even more. We developed punching each other in the chest until you had to give up, until our parents said, you do realize somebody could have a heart attack. But that's kind of this mentality. It's saying, you can't hurt me. I'm tougher than this. The second way we ignore it is by minimization. We say things like, well, it's no big deal. Yeah, yeah, you did it, but it, it doesn't matter. I don't care. It doesn't really matter that much to me. It's not that big of a deal. The third way is we do it through procrastination. We just hope that in time, the pain will just go away. Everything will be better. The problem with this is that I have found that ignoring your pain, ignoring your wounds, doesn't really help. It doesn't go away. People say, time heals all wounds. I want to suggest to you that time actually does the worst. It, it actually makes things worse than what they were if you don't deal with them. David said this in Psalm 39. Psalm 39, verses 2 and 3. He says, I kept very quiet, but I became even more upset. I became very angry inside. As I thought about it, my anger burned. I want to suggest to you that unaddressed wounds actually fester inside and they soon spread, and they can cause death all around you if you don't deal with it. The second thing that we must not do is we must not run from it. This is what I call the Don Knotts approach. How many of you guys remember Don Knotts? He's, he's got to be one of my favorites of all time. Uh, he played in a movie called Mr. Chicken. Any of you guys remember it? This is his approach to run away from everything, to hide, to escape. Don't face the difficulties. Don't deal with those challenging hurts. 
David tried this in Psalm 55 and verse 6. He said this, I wish I had wings like a dove, then I'd fly away and rest. I would hurry to my place of escape. It's, it's almost like it's human nature. When we face difficulty, we're usually one of two kinds of people. We either rise up and battle it, or we want to run and hide in our bed and pull our covers over our heads. When people are faced with difficulties, they either run and hide, or they confront it. I don't know if you've thought about it or not, but if you're in a public building like a courthouse downtown, did you know that all doors in a public building must open out? And have you thought about why? Those people who actually design buildings know that if you put people in a tight, confined area and there's a crisis, their first response is to flee. And so they want the doors to have crash bars that you could hit those doors and they'll fly open and you can run away. Because they recognize that our first reaction often is to run away and to hide. The problem with this approach is that when you run away from them, and you come back, the problem is still there. So how, how do we run away? I, I, I just put down a couple of things. How do we try to escape from our problems? We go to movies. We try to escape into movies. You're having a problem? Let's just go to a movie and pretend that everything is wonderful. It's a wonderful love story, even though my marriage is crumbling. We escape to television, books, alcohol, drugs, divorce, vacations, shopping sprees, anything we can do to try to escape from our problems. The third thing we must not do is we must not hide from it. These are people who don't run from it, they don't ignore it, but they stuff the problem down deeper and deeper inside, hoping they can keep it all to themselves. These are the people that though you might be dear friends with them, when you greet them in the morning and you say, how are you? Their first response is, fine even though they're dying inside. They don't ever want to talk about it. They don't want to have to actually deal with it. Sometimes people camouflage their pain with new things. You know, you, you get a... Uh, when I've had people tell me when they're really, really upset, some ladies go and they get a pedicure or a manicure. Or they go buy a new outfit. Guys go out and buy new toys. Anything to kind of dress it up to hide the fact that I'm hurting inside. David said this, when I kept things to myself, I felt weak deep inside me. I moaned all day long. Now I got to tell you, here at Family Life Church, we're not a perfect group of people. If you've been here any length of time at all, you know everybody in this place has stuff. I've got stuff and you've got stuff. We all have issues of our lives. But my hope is that as a church, as a fellowship of believers, as a family, we can learn to be honest enough and authentic enough to actually confront our issues and to share them with people who can actually encourage us and help us in them. God's grace doesn't work on masks. It only works on the real you. James tells us, confess your faults one to another that you might be healed. Revealing your struggles is actually one of the first steps towards healing. To say, I was hurt. I've got some issues I need to deal with. I need some help in this. And the problem is, 
sometimes we stuff stuff down so deep and it's there for so long that we even forget what it is or what was hurting us. And all we know is that our life keeps getting sabotaged and we don't even know why. And I would suggest that often it's because of deep wounds and hurts inside that we've never dealt with. The fourth thing that we must not do is to worry about it or fret about it. This I call picking the scab. It's like we've got something going on and we keep taking the scab off wondering why it's not healing. Because we've never learned how to forgive and to release. The problem with this is that as you keep rubbing it and feeling it, it makes the problem seem bigger. Job chapter 5 says, don't worry yourself to death. He's saying, what profit is it to worry about this thing? It's far better to deal with it. And the final thing we must not do is to resent it. There are people in life who because of their wounds just become angry, bitter people. They can't seem to forgive and receive healing from God. They get stuck in a prison of their own making. It's like somebody said once, it's like drinking poison hoping the other person dies. And all it does is it kills us inside. Job 18.4 says, you are only hurting yourself with your anger. No matter what anybody has done to you, if you continue to let that fester inside, all you do is dig a pit. One of the things my father used to do for us, for me at least, I guess I shouldn't have said us, it's for me. Uh, when I had done something wrong that bothered him, one of his disciplines was I had to dig a hole. I did. I had to dig a hole. And I would keep digging until he said you could stop. And usually he could say you could stop when you couldn't get out of the hole anymore. You dug a hole so deep you couldn't get out. And he would put a ladder down and he would say, now climb out, now fill the hole up. That was his discipline. Well, I would suggest that some of us have dug holes so deep we can't get out. And we need a Savior that we've just been singing about this morning. Those are the things that we should not do. Because if we do, hear me, it allows your past to control your present and to dictate your future. And we wonder why we approach life with little hope. So, if we're not supposed to do those things, what are the things we are supposed to do? What does God tell us we should do? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 23 and verse 5. Psalm 23, 5 is our verse today. And basically the scene in Psalm 23, which is the shepherd psalm, changes from a field to a banquet. And here, David says this in Psalm 23 in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So what are we to do? The first thing we do, number one, is let Jesus settle the score. Let Jesus settle the score. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Who's the you in the sentence? Who is the you in that sentence? God is. The good shepherd. You, Lord, are my shepherd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is about you stopping to get even. You stop keeping score and you trust God to deal with the situation and to make all things right. You, Lord, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. One of the things I discovered when I read up on sheep is sheep have many natural enemies. Some of their enemies are wolves, coyotes, bears, snakes, 
Even ticks and brambles are part of their enemies, and they're basically a defenseless animal. Have any of you ever raised sheep? I didn't. They're, they're basically helpless, right? I mean, they don't have claws that they can fight with. They can't run real fast. They just waddle along. They can't kick or fight to escape. They're basically helpless. And David is saying, you, God, in the face of those enemies, you, God, are going to prepare a table before me. I can find peace even in the presence of my enemies and what they have done to me. Romans 12 says this, Never pay back evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. For He has said, He will repay those who deserve it. Another, verse, another translation says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Leave getting even. Leave dealing with the situation to God. God knows about our wounds. And He doesn't only know about them. He cares about them. God's Word assures us that one day, he will settle all scores. Did you know that? That as surely as there's a hell and there's a heaven, there is a judgment day. And one day, God will make all things right on your behalf. If not on that day, maybe even within our lifetime, if we turn to Him and allow Him to deal with it. You've got to decide. Are you going to trust God to deal with your situations? Or are you going to try to take it into your own hands? And here's the point that David is trying to make. When you try to control the outcome, when you try to get even, you take it out of God's hand. God can no longer deal with it while you are. God can't judge things at the same time you're judging them. You have to allow God or you take it into your own hands. There's only one way you'll ever get peace and be able to sit down at the table God's prepared for you, and that's the way of forgiveness. And by the way, forgiveness doesn't mean that it's okay that this person hurt you. Forgiveness doesn't mean what they did wasn't such a big deal. Forgiveness doesn't mean it didn't hurt. Forgiveness means I turn it over to God to let God deal with it as He sees fit and I receive His healing in my soul. He says, I will prepare a table before you right in the presence of your enemies. Why should we forgive? Well, number one, we should forgive because God's forgiven us so much. Number two, we should forgive because resentment just makes you miserable and life miserable. And number three, you should forgive because you're probably going to need more forgiveness. I was reading this week uh, two verses specifically. So Matthew 5.7 says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And then Jesus said this in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, in the same way we forgive our debtors, to the same extent that we forgive our debtors. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's not that God is saying this is a work that you must do to earn your salvation. He's saying if you can't forgive, it means you haven't really recognized you've been forgiven. Because if you recognize you've been forgiven, you can't help but forgive those who have done you wrong because you know in your heart of hearts what you have done against God is worse than anything any human being can do against you. So the first thing is we need to let Jesus settle the score. The second thing we need to do is let Jesus soothe our wounds. 
He says, you anoint my head with oil. Shepherds put oil on the heads of their sheep for three different reasons. Number one, to soothe, to heal, and to protect. Uh, one of the amazing things, uh, I don't know if you've ever read Keller's book on the 23rd Psalm. He, he was a man who spent a lot of time studying sheep. And one of the things he says is that sheep have this awful habit of allowing flies to buzz around them and not do anything. Like animals, other animals will shake their heads or will use their tail to flat, what is it, swat them away. But sheep just stand there. And flies actually go in and lay their eggs in a sheep's nostril. And if you watch sheep during the summertime, you will sometimes see a sheep actually taking their head and smashing it against a rock. Because the flies inside, not just the flies around its head, the flies inside are driving it crazy. And I think what David is trying to tell us is that Jesus will actually deal with those petty irritations that drive us nuts. Things in our lives that just bug us. He wants to deal with it. But the other thing that they do that I think is really interesting is the shepherd will take some oil and he will mix it with sulfur. It doesn't smell good. It doesn't smell good in the moment. But he will rub that all around its nostrils and all over its head and it acts as an insect repellent. Sometimes when God deals with the stuff in our lives, it doesn't always feel good immediately. But it helps us to deal with stuff in our lives that could drive us crazy. The oil also acts as a salve or as a healing ointment. When a sheep has an open wound, the shepherd will take this ointment and rub it into the wounds to keep the bugs and the flies away, but also to cause it to heal faster, to soothe the pain. David said, You anoint my head with oil. And in saying it, he's saying God is going to soothe our wounds. And this is the same thing that God promises to do to us. Psalm 147, God says, I will heal the brokenhearted and bandage their wounds. Not only will God settle all accounts on our behalf, but he's going to make all things right and he's going to actually heal us from the inside out. That's his promise if we will turn to him. And in many ways, Forgiveness is instantaneous. You say, God, I forgive them. Or you might even say to the person, I forgive you. But how many of you, having said I forgive them, wake up the next day knowing that you still feel some stuff inside? Because although forgiveness is instantaneous, the process of healing takes time. And sometimes... God wants to deal with those feelings inside. And we find that for a while, I mean, there have been a couple times in my life, a couple times, when I have been hurt so deeply that I didn't think I would ever get over it. And for a while, every morning I'd wake up and I would think about the situation and it eat away at me. And every day I would say, God, I forgive. God, I forgive. Take these feelings away. Well, here I am, years later, and I can not only think about the situation, I can think about the person without anything rising up in me anymore. Sometimes we need to recognize that healing takes time. Now, when you get, I said it earlier, when you get a small scrape or a small cup, maybe you don't need a Band-Aid, but there are times in our lives when the wound is so deep, we need a bandage. We need something in our lives that helps us to bring healing. And I think God has given us four Band-Aids in our lives. The first is fellowship with people around you. I think it matters that we have people who care about us 
who stand with us shoulder to shoulder and back to back, who have our sixes, who, who care about us so that we don't isolate ourselves in the midst of our own pain. The second thing God gives us is prayer. I think we need to take our wounds to God. And sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I've had conversations with God where I have literally screamed at God. because I felt like what's going on is just unfair. It's not right. And I don't think God's afraid of that. I think God wants us to actually talk it out with Him. The third thing is God gives us worship. And I wonder, isn't it true that sometimes you come in desperately hurting inside? Maybe it's something your spouse has done that has hurt you so desperately. But you come on. You come into the sanctuary of God and worship begins and you find tears start to come down because worship has a healing balm to it. And the fourth thing is God gives us ministry. The ability of people to actually stand with us, lay their hands on our heads, on our shoulders, on our backs and pray for us and to help bring healing. Bandages for our lives. And I hope, I hope with all my heart that Family Life Church affords that to all of us. Fellowship the ability to pray to God, ministry for us, and then worship that soothes our wounds. There are actually, I have found, two phases to healing in life. There's the first phase, which is the be still phase. That's where, like the doctor tells you, stay off your ankle. You've twisted your ankle badly, stay off of it. Or you've hurt your shoulder and you need to have a sling on or maybe even a cast and you're to do nothing. That's the be still stage. And all of us need that in our lives. Time where we just stop things for a moment and turn to God and allow Him to minister to us. But then there's always that stage where the doctor says, it's time to go to the physical therapist. And I have found that physical therapists are kind of like the Inquisition. They love to torture you. And you come to a point where you, you don't only hate the therapy, you almost hate them. It hurts but they know if you don't start using that arm, you will never get back full use. I had an uncle, his name was Don. He's gone now. But he had uh, hernia surgery. And back in the day, apparently when you had hernia surgery, it wasn't outpatient. You would have hernia surgery and you would stay in the hospital for four or five, six days. And then they would send you home. And in the hospital, they would try to make you get up. But Uncle Don would say, but it hurts too much, I can't. And he would walk around all the rest of his life. Because he wasn't willing for the immediate pain and to stretch it, he walked around like this all of his life because he wouldn't allow the get-moving stage to take place in his life. When you have a, a wound, most often you're left with a scar. I have several scars in my body from things that I have done to myself, some that doctors have done. But you can look at the scars in your life and they can remind you of the hurt, or they can remind you of your healer, the one who came and saved you in the midst of it. I would suggest that we ought to look at the scars in our lives, the things that we've gone through, and thank God that even in the midst of those hurts, He met with us. So, we let Jesus settle the score, we let Jesus soothe our wounds, and finally, we let Jesus satisfy our needs. He says, my cup overflows. In the Bible, an overflowing cup spoke to abundance and satisfaction. In the Middle East, where it was mostly arid, it was deserts, they didn't have a lot of water. So you didn't waste one drop of it. And yet here, David says, my cup overflows, which speaks almost of a wastefulness. 
When you need to get past your hurt, you need to know that God is more than enough. He's more than enough for whatever you've dealt with, whatever you've had to confront, whatever you've been challenged with in your life. And the reason why that's so important is that many of us are looking to people around us to heal our wounds. And I want to suggest to you, there is no one in this room who can meet all of your needs. There's, there's no spouse that can meet all your needs. No child that can meet all your needs. No grandchild that can meet all your needs. No brother or sister in Christ who can meet all... This church can't meet all your needs. Only God can. And David said, my cup overflows because God has filled my cup. What is it that God fills our cup with? Number one, with hope. Romans 15.13 God will help you overflow with hope in Him through the Holy Spirit's power within you. So hope. Number two, love. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 May the Lord make your love to grow and overflow. And number three, with joy. John 16.24 Ask using My name and you will receive and your cup of joy will overflow. When, uh, when I have traveled around the world, uh, we found it first in Africa, and maybe Tom and Sharon remember this, I don't know. I found it in Africa, but I also found it in Kazakhstan. People would invite us over to their house to eat. Sometimes the pastor would say after you would preach, come in, come in, eat. Or we would be, vi- I can remember walking down the road in Kazakhstan and people inviting us into their house. And if you chose to go in, They might not have much. In fact, they might even have to go to their neighbor to get something to give you. But I can remember, uh, and I I was fortunate in that I liked food. Um, We would go and we would eat it, and I would usually like the food. But invariably, there there were times when I didn't like the food. I can remember one time um, we were uh, in Africa, and we were eating at the pastor's house up on Mount Kilimanjaro, right up on the tree line of Mount Kilimanjaro. And Sharon was sitting here, and over here was Cindy Evans. And we were eating some food, and I have to tell you, it it was bad. It was bad. But my thought was, if I stuff it down quickly, I can at least say I'm done and be done with it. I got done, and Sharon and Cindy, who didn't like it either, dumped their food onto my plate. (laughs) But this is the best part. In their culture, if you've eaten it all or if you've drank it all, they look at it as you liked it. And they want to bless you. They want to honor you. So they put more on Sharon and Cindy's plate. That's called getting even, by the way. Um, In those cultures, if they wanted to bless you, they made sure your cup was always full. And if they really liked you, they let the cup overflow just a little bit. And that's what David's pointing to. David's saying God is so good that His healing is so rich that our lives will actually overflow and we will no longer be a prisoner of our past and of our wounds. God says, I'm going to fill your cup to overflowing. It means you matter so much to God. He considers you such a worthy person that He's going to be extravagant and even wasteful in His love towards you. Psalm 23, I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I'll anoint your head with oil. Your cup will overflow. God will settle your score. He will soothe your wounds. And He will satisfy all of your needs. It's a banquet of wholeness, of help, of salvation, of help. Would you stand with me?
Next week, we will begin a new series on the book of Jonah. And we're going to look at what God wants to teach us about Jonah. But in this interim time, I wanted just to take a few moments and say, even in the midst of the pandemic, there's probably been some things that have been hurtful. Some things you haven't understood. The way people have acted. Things they've said or done that you, you've gotten upset about. There's some people in this room that think the whole thing was a farce. And that why are we doing any of this? This is the government abusing their authority. There's others who think, no, this is very, very serious. We ought not leave our homes. We ought to stay safe. And yet, can we not love God and love one another even with different beliefs instead of attacking one another or demeaning what one another believes or feels? I think that's what God is saying. He says, in the midst of your hurts, in the midst of your wounds, I can bring healing. Would you bow your heads with me? And if you're here today and you know deep in your heart, you have some things that have been very hurtful. Things that have wounded you deeply. Perhaps those nearest to you, those wounds hurt the most. It could be your spouse or your kids. Maybe you're estranged from a loved one and it hurts deeply. You don't even necessarily understand why, but it's happened. It doesn't seem fair. Or maybe others who have been friends have abandoned you. They, they have said hurtful things and then they pulled away attacking you. I don't know what it is, but if you're here today, I want to suggest that you immediately turn your heart toward God. He alone can prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Just turn your heart for a moment to the Lord. Maybe for you, it's life has thrown you a curve and you're dealing with struggles, with grief, with mourning inside. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one or maybe it's a loss of life as you've known it. Turn your hearts toward God and allow Him to minister something deep inside of you. Let Him take it in His hands knowing that He will make all things right. Let Him soothe your wounds to bandage them and to bring healing. And let Him give you abundance in its place to satisfy your deepest needs. Father, today, we as Family Life Church want to be a place where we can be real with one another. We can live authentic lives, not wearing masks, not pretending. But we don't want to walk around with sad faces forever. We want to see healing come in. So Lord, we're asking You to, by Your Spirit, begin to do something deep inside of us where there's been wounds, there's been hurts, where we even have looked back at our own failures, which are deep scars, we can see you saved us even in the midst of it. And we can rejoice in your goodness even as we look at that scar. Lord, let your grace be poured out upon each one. And let them know the abundance, the abundance of your love and the way in which you can cause our cup to overflow. We believe you, Father, for deep healing inside that then enables us to walk in wholeness as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let that be our response, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen. And again, I want to remind you, we, we obviously are not taking offerings. If you want to give, you can give in the boxes in the back of the church at each door. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.